0: the draft deeper podcast this is your host nathan grubel joining me as always is my producer kevin black and to kick off our 2021 nba draft grades essentially what we're going to be doing over the course of a few podcasts is we're going to grade each team within their division so we're starting off with the southwest division today because i had talked to our our gracious guest chuck from chucking darts to come on and help us grade one of the divisions before we knew any of these draft picks uh he had volunteered to come on and do the southwest division and as everyone already knows who's listening to this podcast there is one team in particular that ended up making four first round selections and between those four first round selections i was certainly enthused i know chuck loves uh a, a, decent number of picks that were made within this division in general not even just for that one particular team but i messaged chuck i'm like we got to start this off with you man like the, the there's no better way to kick off this series so i am thrilled to have chuck on chuck how are you doing my friend are Are you well rested and well recovered from a frenzy draft week how are you doing man i'm doing great thanks so much for having
1: me on yeah i've got no complaints the draft I mean, the draft is just sort of the the cherry on top to the to the process. So, of course, you know, for guys like you and me and a bunch of people who follow it, there are some, you know, there's some lost sleep in getting all your evaluations done. But the draft, to me, is just one big victory lap, no matter how it turns out. And that's sort of how I treated it. So I'm good. How are you?
0: I, I'm I'm doing well. I'm I'm much more recovered. Uh, From sleep than I was on Friday when I recorded my initial reactions and I know that you did the same you also came out with an initial reactions podcast I'm glad I dubbed it within my title as such. Because there was no way I was going to be able to do even close to, I think even though my, my podcast clocked in around like an hour, I know yours clocked in at about two hours. There's no way you were going to squeeze that extra hour out of me on on Friday. I was just too <laughs> tired. I needed some sleep. But um, I, I, I'm ready to do this. I'm ready to dive in a little deeper because it, it's fun to break it up by division. That way, we're only looking at a certain number of teams each episode, and I feel like that allows us to talk about some more guys within those draft picks and not feel like we only have such an amount of an allotted time for, for this guy. And, and Chuck, you and I, we listen every time we do this, we, we could go on for hours and hours and hours. So while, while we probably won't go on for hours and hours and hours on this one, I feel like we can at least get our thoughts out in the open without the the quote unquote time constraints when we're going through like 30 teams. Worth, for example. So without further ado, are you ready to jump into this? I am, but I have a quick, uh, clarifying question. So
1: we're grading these teams are, we are each giving our own grade. Is that right?
0: That is correct. So essentially what we want to do here, we're going to start off with that team that I referenced at the very beginning, the Houston mm-hmm. Rockets. We're going to grade their draft. We're each going to give a grade based on how we feel. They did in the draft, and I'll, I'll definitely be kicking it over to you for the most part to start. Since, since you are awesome guest, and we'll just kind of go back and forth then from there, and we'll go down by these teams. That sound cool to you?
1: It it does. One more quick question: since we're doing this within the Southwest Division, yes, are we given like ABCDF within? in the division, like there has to be one grade to each one, or could I theoretically nope. give five A's? Nope, if
0: nope, you can give five A's if you really okay, want great. to. The okay. it, Listen, I'm not giving out five A's today, but if you want to, Chuck, <laughs> by, by all means. We, we are a podcast of positivity. I say this all the time. I, I love being positive about the draft. There, there are too many negative Nancys that you can run into on social media sometimes, and that's why I think that you people like you and I have built such great audiences for the work that we do because we are pretty much positive people. So I will be giving out five A's if you want to. I, I can. I think you're going to give out a pretty high grade for the Houston Rockets, which is where we're going to start this, Chuck. Um, mm-hmm. why, why don't you give out your general grade, kind of go through some things, and then I'll give my grade, and we can kind of break it down, each, each player piece by piece, if you want to start us off.
1: Okay, so my overall grade for the Rockets is quite good, but it's not top of the heap. I gave them a B+. Plus, um, and a lot of that has to do with their, the trade they made in the middle of first round, because I think that's where there's some differing opinions. And I have sort of fall in the middle there. But starting at the top, I take Jalen Green, number two. Um, I had Jalen Green. I finished with a tier of three guys at the top with Cunningham, Evan Mobley, and Jalen Green. But I thought Cunningham and Mobley were like a half step ahead of Green in terms of the value I think that they could bring to a team. So Cunningham's off the board, comes down to Green and Mobley. Um, I don't blame the Rockets at all for taking Jalen Green, especially with reports out there that Mobley didn't really work out for them and didn't really meet with them. And Green, by all accounts, said, you know, I want to join your organization. This doesn't really go much into my evaluation of Green, but he also is an incredibly charismatic guy who I think if you were to sit down and meet with him, which you know you and I don't have the luxury of doing, you know I think he would win me over. I think he'd probably win you over. I'm sure he won over the Rockets owner or whatever decision makers he met with. So since I don't have access to all of that, I'm not gonna knock the Rockets for taking the guy who wants to be a part of their organization and who, by the way, could someday lead the nba in scoring because that's how talented jalen green is Mm -hmm. so i thought even though i ended with evan mobley as my top overall player i thought that green very good acceptable pick um and the rockets are on a, a nice long timeline they know that they're rebuilding green is uh, you know just freshly 19 years old even though he's very talented it's going to take time for him to become a really efficient polished NBA offensive weapon even though he's got all the tools to be that um, and the Rockets followed through with that line with the rest of their draft uh, Shen Gun they acquired with the 16th overall pick by trading two future first round picks uh, curiously yep. enough the second consecutive year that they were involved uh, with a trade with two future firsts and the 16th overall pick. Last year, they received two firsts in trading away that pick uh, that eventually became Isaiah Stewart for the Pistons. Shingun, uh, if you want to pause here, we can go back and forth a bit. Shingun, to me, is the most interesting player in the draft sort of outside of the top five names. Um, so I think this demands a, a bit more discussion, unless you have anything to add on Green, which I'm happy to do as well.
0: No, so Shangoon is definitely a, a decent stopping point. And then we can move on to the two other first rounders um, that they did end up selecting. And you bring up a point that, Chuck, I don't think enough people have echoed to in, in terms of like the general masses on social media. I know a, a lot of different smart people I've seen tweeting about this mention this trade. And they're like, so you're drafting somebody in the middle of the first round. You're giving up... Two extra picks to do it, which is crazy because mm. like Oklahoma City ended up like like a net positive with draft picks even after draft night. Like that's that that's <laughs> crazy. Say so, what? Whatever Sam Presti is putting in people's drinks, like I, I I don't know. He's he's stirring something crazy over there. Like he's gonna have like sixty draft picks a, 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 at some point. Like I'm convinced that that man's just he's just gonna do whatever he wants at this point. He swindles people out of draft picks. But but whatever the case may be, that to some that's a steep price to pay and listen i i've said for so long after the top 5 guys even though i'm not technically putting a number by them i think that i we can be in agreement or or somewhat agreement that like you have guys like um, Cade Cunningham, Jalen Green, Evan Mobley, Jalen Suggs, Scotty Barnes, like those are generally going to be either like the top five guys on a board, or they're going to be like five of the top seven guys, like in some order. And then once you get to like this middle, which for me was like a tier three after like four guys and that tier stretched from like five for me all the way down to like 21, I thought that Shen mm-hmm. had some of the highest upside out of like anybody that we're looking at um in that tier like i can make an argument in my mind for him as much as somebody else like 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 a scotty barnes or, or etc like anybody that falls like i think mm-hmm. Cade, jalen green um Suggs and mobley are all in like they're they're in two tiers they're like by themselves essentially like i'm not putting anybody else above those four guys but shangun this all depends on how you feel about his evaluation if you think that he's worthy of being like a top seven top eight pick I, I guess that's how Houston yeah. had to the feel. They felt really they felt really optimistic about giving up that extra asset essentially to go grab somebody like him to to pair with some of these other selections that they made. And that comes into the whole team building aspect of what they're trying to do here. Because I'll just say I'm giving the Houston Rockets an A and I'm giving them an A okay. based on the fact that by my grading, right? and how I feel about these guys, they chose four guys in the first round who I thought had cases to be selected in the lottery. And if we're going off of an evaluation structure like that, that's immense value, um, in my opinion, regardless of what they might have traded away. So essentially, if, if you're telling me that by, by my evaluation, I'm getting four guys that I can argue to be drafted in the lottery for what equates out to be like five or six draft picks, I'm going to take that deal because I'm confident. And if that's really the type of value I'm going to be getting back, how hard is it to find guys who, and let alone draft that many guys who you're so high on in, in one particular first round, like that, that rarely happens where you see so much movement up and down a draft and you see teams taking shots on some of these other guys. And there's just this windfall of players that, that seem to be just cascading down Uh, where they're actually drafted as opposed to where you might have had them evaluated. Like, I think this opportunity and, and I'll feel free to let you respond to this part, Chuck, that like this, this opportunity for Houston it's a such a rare year for something like that to happen. Like usually we do not have this deep of a draft where you can recoup potentially that much value for a first round pick or like multiple first round picks. Like usually this opportunity does not happen. And Raphael stone definitely took some swings, particularly with that shangun pick and in making that trade. But I like the swings that he took. And when you just have a draft like this, when you have this type of opportunity in front of you, it's the smart GMs that seize that opportunity versus some other executives that might think that even though the price may be too rich for their blood um, to compare to the value they think they might get, because a, a lot of it's theoretical at the end of the day, you know, you'll have those executives that don't want to do it. But usually it's, it's, it's the bold that end up being favored in Fortune.
1: Yeah, and I'm really glad that that's where you ended because uh, this is something I mentioned on my uh reaction episode which is one of the there's so much uncertainty with the draft even when draft night rolls around and all these evaluations are done. You know, these got these guys are so young and there's so much roster turnover in the NBA. There's every chance that the Rockets don't keep all four of these guys to their second contract, even if they're good, they might trade them. You never know. But one of my organizing principles for this draft was in its depth. And to me, the smart teams were the teams that bought into this draft. If you sat this draft out like the Dallas Mavericks did to speak about another team in this division, then I think that was a big mistake because I don't care how close you think you are to contending and how many vets you think you need to help you uh there's always room for cheap players and that's what draft picks are cheap players that can help your team if nothing else to say nothing of how good they could be if you invest the resources to develop them and any team that thinks well we're contending and so we don't have time for draft picks talk to the Brooklyn Nets who took five players Yep. abstract Because people never understood the depth that was staring them in the face. So for the Rockets specifically, uh talking about Shen Gun, in a vacuum, I don't mind um trading future picks to get back into the first round, particularly in the teens, particularly in, in this draft. It's just the question of how where do you think Shen Gun, where do you think his career is going to take him? And broadly speaking, there's two In my mind, there's two kind of thoughts about it. And I sort of fall in the middle. I'll just say that. On one end, you have uh, people who are skeptical of his ability to play defense because he is slow-footed. Even though he's young, he is very slow-footed. He will have to play in drop, pick, and roll. And even in drop, pick, and roll, he might have trouble covering the right ground and making sure his feet are nimble enough to do his job and if you're i mean look at carl anthony towns for how gifted an offensive center he is if you can't hold up your end of the bargain in the scheme that your team runs for you then you are you're it's like chopping the legs off of you know one of the legs off of your team you know you, you just a center who can't protect the rim and a team that can't protect the rim is just asking for trouble so that is one sort of thought on on shingun that no matter how good he is on offense that will always be a concern and so there's still a a slot where you draft him because i'm going to get you know obviously he has all these other strengths but it it would not be wise to sacrifice future capital to take him because he will always have this issue the other thought is this kid is so brilliant offensively he shows so much much promise he had so much production in his league um and, and he has so much intelligence with how he plays which is what sticks out to me yep. i mean yes every low post move in the book but he reads his defender at an expert level i mean his footwork in the post is great that is sort of a, an outgrowth of intelligence and having great coordination And uh, just extraordinary patience for his age. He plays stronger than he is. He has, in my opinion, the best hands in the draft of any big, like far and away, an incredibly soft touch, a better rebounder than he has any right to be because it's not like he's this crazy athlete or has a crazy wingspan. Um, And he just, when he is asked to pass, which in his domestic league in, in Turkey, he usually did out of the post. He was very very good at that and he would try wild audacious passes which for a young player you you want to see because you want to see the aggression and so there's a a thought that down the line when this kid is 24 25 maybe he is helping to run a good NBA offense from like the elbows not, not saying that he would be Nikola Jokic because he's Nikola is sort of the the highest possible version of this player type. Yep. But in that realm of Vucevic, Sabonis, Cengun would be something like that. And even though those guys have their issues on defense, there's no doubt that they hold value in the league. I mean, Vucevic got two first round picks traded for him this off season, one of which ended up being a top 10 pick. So it's it's not as though it's dumb to value that kind of player. Um, I come down a little bit in the middle because I just, in order to be that good, like Shengun really has to hit on lots of different things. And once he hits on all those things, the Rockets would have to sort of commit to running their offense around him, as opposed to perhaps running it through Kevin Porter Jr. and Jalen Green. And so it forces these decisions about how much usage you would give him. And I think those questions are a little murkier, but they're down the road. And that's why I don't hit them too hard for this pick. Again, if Shangun is, a, you know, first team all rookie, because like he just comes in on second units and just host people in the post. Um, and, you know, in two years they trade him for a better return, then I'm not going to say this was a bad use of that asset. Um, He's also young enough that by the time he hits his prime in 10 years, who knows how much of an offensive player he is. And at pick 16, traditionally, you don't get players that good at that stage of the draft. So I think it was audacious. I think it was aggressive. Um, I do think that there are, you know, I have a hard time imagining sort of a championship team with Shen gun doing Shen gun stuff at the center of it. But that doesn't mean it, it was a bad selection. The The tiebreaker for me is the future draft capital involved makes me a little bit queasy. That's why I dropped down from like an A or an A minus to a B plus, but I don't like hate the pick. Um And to get to Garuba and Josh Christopher, we mentioned I had Garuba seventh overall on my board. So I thought he had no business at all fall all the way to pick 23 and the reason he did was because nba teams are spooked by his lack of sort of offensive polish he and uh, Shen are a great sort of odd couple going to the same team because for as well
0: hang on let me uh, let me invent- just pause you right there for a really quick second because leading into garuba this brings up the most fascinating part to me about the whole trade even taking place. And you you talk about, Chuck, how you, you feel a little queasy about giving up that extra capital to go get somebody like Shen Goon. Well, first of all, it takes balls to make that type of a trade. Not only does it take balls to make the trade, it takes balls to also live with the results from that trade. Because when you look at, the there's Shen Goon, then they take Garuba, who, a, as soon as I finish this point, Chuck, I want you to definitely give your give my audience your full breakdown of guru because i think you've done an excellent job with it on on your own platform i want my audience to be exposed to that again in case they haven't already but you have those two guys but then you also have christian wood and it's it's of my opinion i don't know if they're gonna move off of christian wood um for for these two young guys because christian wood wanted to sign in houston he wanted to be there and it's it's not as common that you find guys who are so willing as free agents to sign in houston not that it's not a desirable market in the state of texas there's no state sales tax it's not like free agents haven't gone there but to go there with everything that was around that organization with the possibility that you're going to sign there you're going to make this money but you're not necessarily playing with other stars like that—that's something that doesn't always happen. So I think to to want to pivot away from somebody like that, I don't think that the Houston Rockets as an organization can afford to do that. But then you bring up well, well who's the better of the two front court guys to start next to Christian Wood? As you're going to tell my audience with your breakdown of Garuba, it, it it's Garuba. Like I'm not even going to argue that. Like he's a better player to pair with christian wood so then you're having Shengoon while as gifted as he may be offensively even potentially early on in in the nba you might find that he does a lot of things well on that end of the floor like just the fact that you you have to sell your fan base that you paid that extra draft capital to take somebody who's really not even going to be starting for your team like that's a really rough pill to swallow for some people and like Raphael Stone's going to have to have some thick skin to endure that scrutiny. Now I, I think that that given some of the things he's already done for that organization, I think he has that thick skin. I don't think that's going to bother him, but that's something that could bother some executives. And you know, for a fact that um, even if Shen Goon doesn't come out and play really well in like a bench type role, like maybe, maybe he's not as dynamic as we, we thought he could be in like his first year in the league obviously you have to understand with somebody who's going to be probably like 19 at the conclusion of his rookie year he's still so young he has a lot of developing to do and that's part of the allure in taking him in the first place but like stone's going to take some heat for for doing this i think one way or the other when you look at the the roster that's constructed around him.
1: yeah i think it depends on your definition of heat because i think expectations are so low Oh, in Houston that I don't know that like the media necessarily will kill and I'm not um, talking about those,
0: national media. I'm talking about lo- like local media, that fan base. Like there will be people directly tied to Houston um, who who look at that move and they're going to deem it as like a head scratcher move. Like a lot of people are probably excited to have four guys of this caliber coming into Houston, that much young talent coming in at one time. But people are going to start breaking that this draft down and they're going to start looking at well, why did we give up assets for somebody who's not even starting for us or may not have a significant role if he's not good enough to be in this role? Like I think, again, a lot of this that we've already tied back to comes back to how good Shen goon can be, how quickly. And I don't know, that those are just some of the layers. Those are some of the things that I can start to see when we really break this down piece by piece.
1: And so there's a couple different angles to go off of that then. Yep. um number one stone he's taking four rookies all of which he i think probably intends to have a role in houston sooner rather than later with their timeline yep. so maybe like i'm sure that he'll get i mean gms get heat no matter what they do for anyone unless it's like trading for a superstar so i'm sure that it if Shen Gun, you know is sort of of unimpressive and he's just a bench piece and sort of a sparse bench piece this year alone some people will be unhappy with him but i don't know that he necessarily concerns himself with this season with Shen- gun. Yep. i mean there's rumors that rock andre drummond to like a lot of money this offseason so that should alone tell you what sort of he expects necessarily from Shen Gun. that's a different discussion The second part of it is looking at the traditional developmental trajectory of bigs. And generally it takes some time. Um, If you just look to the guys that that we've mentioned, you know, Jokic was good pretty quick, but that's because Jokic is, you know, probably when it's all said and done, he'll be a top 25 all-time player. If not better than that. I mean, he's a league MVP at age 24 or 25. It just doesn't happen very frequently, but Vucevic showed a little bit of promise but then was traded and then he really came into his own on his second team sabonis didn't show a ton. Ta- i mean he was traded draft night in orlando to okc and was considered sort of a, you know they miss even case they tried to make him a spot up three-point shooter but he wasn't a near all-star there it took another trade to get him off that team to get him to indiana where they could sort of build around his talents but It wasn't just getting him into a new context; it was waiting until he hit sort of his physical prime. You know, when you're big in the NBA, you have to put up with a lot of physicality, a lot. And Shen Gun is a strong kid; he's stronger than he looks, and he looks like he could put on. I mean, he's already sort of a well distributed 240 pounds, but he looks like he could put on more. You know, he might be able to get up to 260 by the time his sort of man strength arrives. Um, But in the meantime, he's probably going to be at a big physical disadvantage. And if you're at a big physical disadvantage at center, you almost have to be able to shoot threes to have any sort of value because the best thing he does is work out of the low post and Houston isn't going to reorient its offense around a low post big who isn't dominant at that skill, you know, and be posts up Jokic posts up because no one can do anything with those guys and they're both in their physical prime so early in Gun's career that's going to be a problem and i'm if there's a time where stone's going to start hearing that stuff it's in these first couple years and so maybe not that drummond is necessarily the solution to anything maybe the the idea incubate shangun so that the spotlight is not so firmly on him See, that's what I think is going to happen. That's
0: exactly what I think is going to happen. I don't think we're going to be able to start really evaluating how Shengun fits into all this until at least year two. And that's where I think some of the flack is going to come in on it. That's the issue.
1: And that's what's sort of not fair to him because. I agree. There's already, like I said, there's a real group of people who think, and they're smart. Like, it's a smart group of people who think that Shengun is just sort of doomed from the get-go because he'll never be able to carry his on defense. And if it takes his offense years to arrive, then it increases the possibility that, you know, whatever he, whatever value he comes by will not come in a Houston Rockets uniform. So with that understanding, I think the most immediate heat that Raphael Stone will feel will be from Christian Wood. And maybe, yep. Wood, in his representation, should have known better because when Wood signed, James Harden was there. And I'm sure that Wood had this vision of being this pick-and-pop, pick-and-roll big with Harden, which for the first eight games of the year looked really good. I mean, even a half-asleep James Harden was <laughs> setting Christian up with the best looks he'll ever see. And Wood, when he was healthy, had a good year last year, whether yeah. or not Harden was on court. I. I was a fan of that signing. I've been a fan of Woods for some time, um, but I don't know if he's really willing to wait this rebuild out. And they signed him to a three-year deal. One year's gone. All of a sudden he only has two years left. He's underpaid. He knows this team is not going to win with him there. I mean, he should know that by now. And so maybe that means that he's going to want out. I, I don't know. But it to me, these draft picks shouldn't necessarily be made with, appeasing christian wood in mind because christian wood it it seems like he's young because he's relatively new to sort of nba prominence but he's like 20 yeah yeah he's ready to win he wants to win and i don't blame him for that at all so i think the best thing for both parties might be to find him a new home maybe as soon as this offseason i mean i i've i haven't seen anything official on this. this isn't like rumors but i was just talking with some buddies about how depending on how golden state might want to upgrade their roster he might be a guy they could target and he might be i mean he's, he's that, good enough. that
0: drumming really shit is off, real there's no way he's now. staying in houston there's absolutely no way right like that that, that would not so
1: happen.
0: so it, and
1: all i think that honestly once that happens it'll happen sooner rather than later unless wood it just has unless he just really wants to be in houston which you know it's all power to him if he wants to be um, I think that's coming down the pike, and I think that the Rockets, the writing's on the wall that the future of their team is in Green, Christopher, and Kevin Porter Jr. on the wing, and then these front court bigs that they took. Um, now Garuba, again, very high on my board, should not have fallen this far. He fell because NBA teams are are queasy about his offense because Real Madrid sort of put them in a little box and even though they are a team in the second best league in the world and one of and probably the best domestic league in europe have you know former pros and future pros and guys who could play in the nba right now if they really wanted to you know be on the bench somewhere garuba was an important piece for them and as a 19-year-old, I guess is an 18-year-old technically when he was playing for them. He's playing for Spain in the Olympics right now. That's significant. The ability to earn minutes is significant. And Garuba has prototypical size and strength and length for the most valuable defender on a given team, which is a guy who can close games at center, but who can also switch and check the best opposing player are the best offensive player on the opposing team. And that's why he was top 10 on my board, because every team in the NBA could use a player like that. And if every single team could use you and you would have a real place in their closing lineup, then you should be a top 10 pick in a year. Garuba wasn't given the opportunity to do a lot on offense besides sort of shoot corner threes and sort of Mm -hmm. clean up stuff in the dunk spot. But he is such a smart player. He is... He is smarter on defense than any player in the draft probably in the last two or three years coming out. I have to believe that that intelligence will transfer to him figuring out a way to be valuable on offense because it's not that hard in the NBA to be passable on offense. The NBA is an offensive league. They'll take care of you on offense. As long as you know when to cut and you can finish a little bit, And you are an intelligent passer and you make your decisions quickly, you could be okay. PJ Tucker just won a title, being PJ Tucker. And he would put up stat lines in these playoffs in the finals where it's like 35 minutes, 0-2 from the field. And he but because his value is so much on defense, he didn't sink his team's offense. And Garuba is that same sort of, like, I, I don't even want to limit his ceiling to something like P.J. Tucker offensively. Tucker was a better offensive player coming out of Texas, but he also wasn't getting reps at, you know, a league at the level of the League. So if Garuba can apply his considerable gifts, both physical and um, intellectual on offense, and that shot comes along a little bit. And over the last couple months, I think he shot like 35% from three in the League then every like it it just compounds how good a player he can be and so i think it was i think it was a big mistake for so many teams to pass on him and i think in houston where again there's a long runway of development this is not like real madrid where they think we got to win right now so usman we're only going to have you do two things on offense there's a lot of time for them to experiment with different lineups to see how garuba interacts with with green with porter jr with christopher and to find out what he's really good at um i could see someone and it, i was in a, a chat on draft night where someone brought up a point like well they have all these wings that's going to stop up a bunch of usage and groove is going to be stuck in the corner again i think that houston because they're so far away and they're they're so clearly rebuilding. They will have time to give Garuba some more interesting things to do than to just sit in the corner. And that's, that's my hope because this kid, I, he's so smart and so talented and is such a difference maker on defense. I have to believe that that offense is just going to get a little bit better year over year. And that I won't get too far into my draft philosophy, but if you process the game really well, then in my opinion, you're going to improve in in the NBA. And the guys that stick, the guys who become real difference makers are the guys who get better year over year over year. Every rookie is going to be more or less a negative player. The ones that end up becoming difference making players in the NBA are the guys who know how to improve. And Garuba, in addition to all his physical gifts and all of his current talent, knows how to improve. So that's why I thought that was a great pick. Um, I can also hit on Christopher, but I want to give you the chance to respond on Garuba, if you like.
0: yeah so I, I I want to give a thought, and then I want to ask you another question because you 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 laid out you laid out the magnificent case for Garuba that I knew you were going to lay out, and I don't know if I would have taken him as high as like number seven, for example. But you and I are in agreement on just from the standpoint that if you're evaluating Usman Garuba on the amount of points that that he can pour through the basket like that, that's not how you should evaluate Garuba. That is not like, like you're already doing yourself a disservice. If that's the, the highest merit that you're going to judge him on, because he does so many things on the floor as you talked about. My question for you, Chuck, this is really where I'm going with the whole front court situation. I think that what this draft tells me who they pick specifically, this tells me that I think they view Garuba as a five, not a four. And I think they they think that Shen Goon is not this traditional low post type center who you're going to funnel a lot of low post offense through. This tells me, I think that they think that Shen going to become something like Cleveland Cavaliers type Kevin Love. That, th- this is what this tells me. And I'm curious to get your thoughts on that. Because if you have to, if, if you're trying to look at Shen Goon through that kind of light, which again, I have a hunch that they are that's not going to be some overnight thing that just happens right away and you start seeing those results click in year 1 that's why i don't think shangoon's going to be much on the table for year 1 and and that will even bleed over into year 2 which is that that's really the the big brain thought where i was trying to go with, with a lot of this i'm curious to to get your take on that because when you evaluate garuba it sounds like i mean to take advantage of a lot of different things he can do like short roll playmaking, yada 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 like you kind of want him operating in a five you don't want him just standing over in the corner and if Shengoon can space the floor and allow some of those things to take place and you're using him as like this cavaliers Ke- kevin love type of player that can still be a valuable, smart player to have. And I'm curious to get your thought on if you think that that might be where Houston's going with a lot of this.
1: Ooh, great question. Um, okay, if we're getting... If, 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 if you're asking me what I think Houston was thinking here, I think that they liked Chen a lot. They made the trade. And at 23, I think they thought the value on Garuba was too good. I don't know that they necessarily pre-draft thought Shangun and Garuba would make for such a dynamic complementary pairing, one an offensive savant, one a defensive savant, that we can blend them and we know it's going to work. I just think it, at pick 23, again, that's so you do not see players of Garuba's caliber available at pick 23. And so I just think yeah. that they, they grabbed the value, I mean, that they were a long way out. As far as how that will actually play out... I think with Shen Gun, to try to make it work with Shen Gun, you have to lean into his strengths. And his strengths are in the post. Like he has great touch and he projects to add a jumper. But you don't take Shen Gun at 16 and trade two future first with him because you're so convinced about what a good pick and pop guy he'll be. You want to take advantage of that footwork and that scoring ability in the low post. That's what made him the MVP of his. Does
0: he also become this kind of guy who, who they, they design stuff around him to like operate out of the elbows as well, though? Like, do you have. Do you use Garuba in more of like a dunker spot type role? Like, I, I think the both of those two have so many different strengths, and you bring up how intelligent they both are and, and the court vision that they have as guys who can you project to be maybe not like excellent passing big men but i think that they can be average to above average like that ball can be whizzing around the court i think they can use those guys in different ways together like i don't think it's exclusively one versus the other like i agree that Shengun has a lot of strengths in the post but i can see him being used in different ways on the court as well that can take advantage of some of those playmaking strengths and obviously houston's going to find other guys to to continue to spread the floor around the two of them as well
1: yeah and i think this is and I think they already, I mean, I think Green and Porter are those guys. Christopher possibly as well. I mean, well, I know we'll get to him. But that's where you have to sort of make sure that you're, as Houston, you know who you're prioritizing and what the theory of your team is. Because though we could talk about shengun for hours, he didn't go number <laughs> two in this draft. No. So they their offense is going to revolve much more around Jalen Green. And Kevin Porter Jr., who is only 20 or 21 years old and dropped 50 points in the regular season against the world champion Milwaukee Bucks. I mean, he's a guy who probably would have gone number one or number two in this draft too, if you were eligible. So those are your guys. Those yep. are your, if you want get, to get fun and call him a modern Vince and T-Mac, you want to you know do the player comp thing. That that's what your team revolves around. And it's about how Garuba and Shen and Gun and Christopher and whoever else they have complement those two. Yep. So in terms of how you would like build a lineup out around them, I think um I think that Shen Gun is you know, tough to say. They both project, I think, to set good screens, be good screen partners. I think that Shen Gun in the pick and roll that those guys are operating is probably going to be more of a pick and pop guy. He's got better touch. Yep. I think that group is going to be more of, you know, he'll do some PJ Tucker stuff where he, he cuts from uh, the wing or from the corner because he'll be able to read the defense and, and know how to finish. If they want to involve him in pick and roll, I think that he can become a good short roll pass- passer. I think either one of them can become good short roll passers. Um, but I don't like, and this is the issue, I don't know that there is a five-man lineup with both Garuba and Shengun on the floor that necessarily makes a ton of sense. It might be that when these guys are hitting their prime that they close with Garuba at the five, maybe have a different four on the floor, but Shengun is still a you know a really big part of their team. Uh, if you look at just how playoff teams tend to close games, it's with switchable fives and they have the ability to sort of bog down opposing offenses because they can switch a a bunch of assignments. But Porter and Green are so far away from being, you know, guys who can lead a team offensively in that way that I think it's, this is just a, a time to figure out who has chemistry with who, what sets you can run with who, and you bring up a good point because I think the temptation with Shen Gun is to say, "All right, Garuba, you you wait in the corner," or to your idea, Shen Gun, you go out on the perimeter, and now we're going to involve Garuba a lot in pick and roll. I just my I I do have a, a strong feeling that when you draft a a player whose main talent is offensive, which is most of the guys at the top of the draft, you have got to put them in position to feature their strengths if you start to try to square peg round hole on off offensive talent then you are you're putting yourself behind the eight ball because you're good the teams that you're playing i don't care if they're good i don't care if they're bad chances are they're going to have talented offensive players who are playing to their strengths the sacramento kings were not a good team last year but if you played them you knew that Tyrese Halliburton had a quick trigger and they were going to put him in the corner. And when the ball got to him, the defense was likely to be in rotation. And so he could have an alley to drive in or he would have a three to launch. And that, as a rookie even, on a bad team, that puts defenses, that stresses them. Same thing with Aaron Fox attacking downhill. It stresses them. So if you are drafting Shen Gun to pick and pop, like off a of bat, I think it's something he could eventually do, but I think you have to start with what he's good at. Find a way to get him reps in the NBA, leveraging that strength so the defenses have to respect it and then build out the rest of his game. And then maybe you get into fun stuff where he facilitates from the elbows or he's doing pick and pop stuff. But that's why it's for a guy who had so much polished production at a young age in an overseas league, it's going to take real time. Yep. And that's... I, like we go back to the both schools of thought on him, it's, there's re, there's valid concern, but there is very valid reasons for excitement because the other part of this that we haven't quite hit is with the defensive questions around Shangun. if you were to say what is a team that would cover for him defensively, that would sort of take that and that weakness and cover it up enough so that you could still reap the offensive rewards. This has been the problem for years in Minnesota because they have not got a suitable defensive four to cover for Carl Anthony Towns. It's the reason the Chicago Bulls didn't make the playoffs because after they traded for Vucevic, they didn't have a rim protecting four that could cover for his his problems. You would want to have a bunch of rangy, fast, um committed, strong, nasty defenders that could rotate on a like on a dime, know exactly where they were going and can reset and recover. It's what the Nuggets do often that allows them to blitz Jokic and pick and roll and have, them have him sort of push out the guard, essentially double-team the guard to get the ball out of his hands while everyone behind him, you know, covers on their rotation. And that team, if you were building it around Shen would look like you would have the caliber of athletes that the Rockets have. Because Garuba can do that for just about anyone. Jalen Green and Kevin Porter Jr. and Josh Christopher are certainly athletic enough to fly around the court. So, you know, they're young. They've got to learn the nuances of NBA defense and really rep that stuff out. But it would be in a situation like that. And so that's another, I think, little mini reason for optimism about this court. It's still far away. I can see how people would say, wouldn't it have just been easier to hold these picks? or to to get a a player who's yet another wing. I get it, but that's not to say that there isn't still very valid reasons to be excited about about this group. Um, Don't forget about uh, Jay Sean
0: Tate as well as uh, Kenya Martin Jr. Absolutely. As well. Yes, thank you. That's the type of team they're they're building, that exactly what you talked about, having multiple guys on the court who are going to be able to fly around and, and make up for some defensive shortcomings of a particular player. I'm not as sold on Kevin Porter Jr.'s defense yet, um, but I think Jalen Green's going to be a, a borderline outstanding defender. I think there's a lot that, that he can still tap into on, on that end of the floor, and he certainly has the demeanor to want to attack that end of the floor to get better. And then Kenny Martin Jr. was already doing some interesting stuff last year. Jay Sean Tate, I, I'm, reminded by, I'm reminded by a family friend, his, his agent EJ Kushner, all the time about how good uh, uh, Tate is on defense. Like That's the type of team that they're building around the, around him. Potentially, and like that. That's why I think this is so fascinating, and I do want to talk about Jalen Green, and then we'll move on to to another team. I wasn't trying to avoid the Jalen Green conversation. I just my mind was just like racing on draft night with possibilities, of like what they could do with like a <laughs> Shengoon and, and Garuba front court. Like it's so fun. I'm glad that they took both of those players, took the chance on both of those players, because given how smart they both are. I, there's just so many different things that they could possibly do offensively da- down the row with those two, even if they were both in the corner at the same time. But So the whole Jalen Green thing is really fascinating, and, and I guess it sort of ties into those two bigs as well, Chuck. But I, I think essentially what they're trying to do is I think they, they saw something in Kevin Porter Jr. last year how deadly he was at times as a pick and roll playmaker and, and pick and roll scorer. I mean, he was doing some things last year. He really did look like a mini James Harden on the court. And at times it was, it was freaking scary. And, and I think that you go back to his draft evaluation. Everybody saw the talent. There are, there are a bunch of people I know who had him as like a top four type talent in his draft but he was never going to be drafted that high because of everything else that was going on well now he's in a stable situation in houston and you already saw what some of this stuff can look like offensively and i wonder where jalen green fits into that because when you take a player like jalen green and number two add to your point chuck you mentioned about how they're going to want to try to feature not just kpj but also jalen green naturally it, it just it seems like with the type of pieces they're putting in place around KPJ and the core. It seems like they want to build around endless pick and roll or pick and pop opportunities, space the floor around that. And then I don't know, does, does Jalen green, cause I know that you've talked about on your podcast before um, you did a wonderful podcast with Sean from, from the stepping where you guys broke down Jalen green. You were talking about some of his playmaking opportunities, how he might be able to improve in, in his game in that aspect, you know, further down the road. But like, I don't know if Jalen Green isn't that good of a pick and roll player early on, is he kind of just like, the, the awesome secondary scorer who you kind of like break the emergency glass, like in case of an emergency, you can kick the ball to him and let him do whatever he's going to do. in ISO, are they going to try to involve him in like different off ball type stuff? Are they going to try to take advantage of his athleticism as a cutter. Is it, you know, h- how do you think that he fits in to, to that particular puzzle? Cause again, it just seems to me like there's a lot of stuff I see in favor of Kevin Porter jr, but not necessarily Jalen green, at least not right away early in his career.
1: Uh, Yeah. And I I think that that's right. I think that Porter is like the better NBA scorer and better play pick and roll playmaker now, but this is again where Houston's runway is to its benefit because you can, you can give Jalen green reps, especially when Porter's off the court Mm -hmm. um, and have him run a lot of pick and roll and, and see what you can get with him. And that, that is his main question right now is being an efficient playmaker and, The only reason that is a question is because Green is so athletic and so talented and so threatening as a one-on-one scorer that he's been able to draw help just from that and like be an efficient enough player because he paralyzes a defense and they just want to commit more than one guy to him. And so it opens up very easy reads. He still might be good enough to get away with that in the NBA to a certain extent, but I think you can build out his pick-and-roll playmaking, see how good he can get with that stuff. And at the end of the day, you know, there is sort of a genius level to playmaking where you're throwing guys open and you're seeing passing windows that aren't there um, that I, it's unlikely Jalen Green will ever hit because very, very few players hit yep. it. You but and I are in agreement oh, There's also, yeah, but th- like there is an acceptable level of pick-and-roll playmaking that is, it's not simple, but it's learnable you know you the rockets will probably have guys spotting up in the corners the way that every nba team does and if you're in the pick and roll you can rep out knowing you got to hit this weak side corner pass because chances are there's going to be a guy in between him and a roller that is going to have to commit one way or the other and if you learn to hit that pass then it maintains the advantage that you've created in pick and roll. There's also, you know, you can learn Spain pick and roll sets where you know that there, if you have the ball, there's going to be a guy screening for the screener, and that might mean that that person pops out or cuts back across, and that could be an open look. Like, there there are ways to rep it out, is is my point. And so Green also has such an elevated base because he has – this nuclear scoring ability that he won't need to be a great playmaker to be an efficient nba offensive player he will just need to be like serviceable and a a decent enough decision maker you know he gets comp to zach levine a lot and it's something that zach has struggled with but zach's playmaking has gotten better his his biggest issue to me is that he's never had another good pick and roll playmaker. So yes, with yes, I talked about guy, that
0: one in Spades, a hundred percent. Yeah, so like
1: that—that's his problem. If you if you were to play Zach Levine in Devin Booker's role in in Phoenix, if you were just to swap those two, like I mean, this sounds like a first take segment, but like Phoenix would still be really, really good, like really good. That's the level of shot maker that he is, and Green has a long way to go but he has that level of offensive talent like in him so if he reaches that and Houston does right by you know surrounding him with the right pick and roll playmakers then he will could be an all-star level player but that, i mean that's the, the the thing with the nba having offensive talent now is no longer enough there's offensive talent everywhere every team's got it 7 teams surpassed the previous most efficient offense number in the history of the league last year so you need to have talent that complements each other and that puts your best most talented players in the best positions to succeed and so and i think that stone knows that like i i and i think porter and green the chemistry is is yet to be sort of established but i i don't know why there would be a reason to doubt it i mean green is thought of as such a natural leader Everyone seems to love him. Uh, yep. Hard work, you know. G League at night couldn't say enough good things about him. You know, it it speaks volumes that he was the best player on that team and the most threatening offensive player on that team throughout their season. So, if that means that he has to take a bit of a backseat because he's not as good at, as Kevin Porter Jr. yet, and he needs to be more of a spot up guy and a cutting guy, then I think he'll embrace that, and I think he'll be really good at it. Like at some level the shots have to go in and you need to be like a very, very good shooter. And he is a very good shooting prospect, but you never quite know which way that's going to go. Um, but if that stuff hits like, it, like it could, then he's a real weapon. And that's like six, five, six, six hyper athletes who can really score all over the floor You know, there's a reason that Levine and Beal keep coming up in trade rumors. It's because good teams want that guy because they complement really good decision makers incredibly well. If Levine or Beal were in a Lakers jersey, LeBron's job is easier. You know, that's, that's the case with those players. And that's the kind of guy who I think Green really could be. And anything he adds in pick and roll or as a playmaker attacking a tilted defense that's in rotation. Anything else is gravy, and I think it's stuff that he can add. But that, that to me, is his best lane as a player who is so brilliant as a scorer and so threatening that the, the playmaker that sort of runs the show, his life is made so much easier by, no matter who it is. And so that, that's what I hope for him, is that he does that for Porter and whoever else they may bring in.
0: This is this is all-star level conversation right here, Chuck. This is this is why you're on the podcast. You're 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 one of the best at it, man. And and Thanks, dude. I, I you y- y- you've brought up Christopher's name. I haven't brought him up really, you know, yet to this point. The reason being is that listen, I'm a Josh Christopher guy. You you seem to be a Josh Christopher guy. I just I don't know I don't know how much we can expect him to be involved with things in certainly in year one and maybe even the like year two, I just see the way this team's going. I don't know how much of a role they're going to give Josh Christopher other than like, You know, you're going to come off the bench. We're going to have you in the game for like 12 to 16 minutes a night. You're going to go out there. We'll see how efficiently you can create offense for yourself or or for others. We'll take a look at how you're shooting the basketball. Are you making strides in in your catch and shoot ability? What are you going to give us off the ball? And I think that's how they're going to evaluate it. And then they'll kind of look to extend his role minutes wise from there. But I don't think that minutes number is necessarily going to jump up that much right away in year one and that's why i didn't want to talk about him quite as much as the other three um i didn't i didn't think there was as much intrigue with i think what houston's going to do with him maybe i'm wrong about that maybe they envisioned something a little bigger for him because it's a young team everybody's going to get their 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 you know some kind of minutes to be able to show what they can do on the court but um do, do you think there there's anything chuck to the, that we should look to expect for um from from christopher early on or do you kind of think that that's really what his what role is what going to look like and then we'll we'll move into year two with an evaluation from that
1: yeah, i think probably the latter i mean i think it not a ton year one i would expect i don't remember off the top of my head if they have a g league team or not but if they do i would expect christopher to get a lot of reps there i mean the thing with him is that he's a very talented on-ball scorer but his outside shot is not really there yet. And I think he did himself a lot of favors um, in the pre-draft season because he went to the combine and he wasn't afraid to scrimmage and he wasn't afraid to play anyone and work out for anyone. You know, you see a lot of agencies and players being very sort of manipulative with that stuff. And Christopher was like, no, like run me against anyone I'm going. And I think even up until... The draft he was projected to possibly fall into the second round but he clearly made enough of an impression on houston to take him but he his jumper needs work he he shoots like he wants to shoot off the dribble all the time he has like a diagonal shooting pocket that's designed to pick up the ball off of the crossover and go into his shot if he's just catching and shooting um then he struggles a little bit and so, so that will mean i don't think he gets a ton of minutes on the big league club but he is it is underappreciated how good of an athlete christopher is i mean his college situation wasn't ideal at arizona state um and he still finished seven 73 of his shots at the rim he converted which for a freshman guard is outstanding and i think that his defensive tools are excellent Like, when he's locked in, his lateral athleticism, his strength, his ability to create deflections, especially on the ball, like, really pops on film. And, you know, James Booknight, not to get into a tangent on him, but he got sort of the reputation for being the top 10. He ended up going 11th. But the top 10 prospect in this class who's, like, the athletic two-guard. Uh, who you can play off the ball and who can really, you know, cut and finish and has all this on-ball potential. You know, I had him and Christopher in the same tier, and I don't see Booknight as being an appreciably better prospect. Every bit of athleticism that Booknight has, I think, Christopher has, or it's close, and I think Christopher is a stronger kid. Um, Christopher is also a very sort of magnetic personality, very positive, hardworking guy who just wants to come in and and grind. So I think he's going to play defense. I think he's very willing to do that too. So maybe not year one, but he's going to be heard from. He has uncommon traits in his bag. Um, So yeah, that would be my thought on him.
0: No, you and I are in agreement. I think the last point you made, Chuck, was the most important one. If he's willing to play the type of defense that he showed at times he was capable of playing, at Arizona State, that's going to be his key to not not even just getting on the floor for that Rockets team and staying on the floor, but playing with those two other guys. Because if, if you have the ability to potentially throw out a lineup with KPJ, Josh Christopher, and Jalen Green, because I think in time, Jalen Green's going to be able to defend more out on the wing, and he'll be able to guard up to some threes because he he's not not a slouch on that end. He's as competitive as it gets, certainly his body needs to fill out a little more, but, but you know, that'll come He's, he's rookie year, but yeah, if, if that's the type of lineup you could potentially put out there at some point, then obviously you, you have Garuba and then, you know, whichever front court piece you want to put out there with those guys, like that could be a really intriguing and fun lineup. And I think that the Houston Rockets are just building such a, a fun brand of basketball to be able to market to their fans. Like I'm just, I'm so ecstatic for those guys. Uh, with everything that happened last year with the Harden situation, like I'm so happy that this was the draft that they had. And and yeah, I, I, I gave it an A, you gave it a B, um, but but I think any way you slice it, you and I are very ecstatic. And I knew that that's where the chunk of this podcast w- w- was going to be time-wise. I knew that we were just going to gush about the Rockets. And, and that's okay with me because they were a major player in this. They had the number two pick. They got Jalen Green. I think that all those top three guys, I think, went to what's ideally going to be their best fits long term out of those top three teams. So yeah, I'm just happy with the whole situation. But we'll move to a team that I've certainly been a fan of and 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 they still they still got me by the heartstrings even today, which would be the Memphis Grizzlies. Um they have Hmm. such a dynamic team that they are building and they took a swing at number 10. They took a swing with Zaire Williams at number 10 after they made that trade with New Orleans Pelicans, and then they even traded up into the first round for the second year in a row at number 30, but this time they did not walk away with a player who I was absolutely in love with in Desmond Bain. They took (laughs) Santi Aldama, um out of Loyola maryland which i don't even know how to necessarily grade that part of the draft because he's probably going to be a, a, a draft and stash player i think he's going to go over and play in spain i don't know if he's coming Obviously. over to play with the grizzlies I, I think that's what i've heard i don't think he's going to be with the grizzlies in his rookie year so if that's you know what they're going to do with the pick that makes sense let him go develop in, in spain and then you'll see what what you have in, in a year or two from now um but that's why i mainly i'm mainly looking at this grade through the lens of desire williams pick and I'm gonna give it a C plus.
1: So it's exactly my grade. Is, exactly it really, is it really?
0: Is it really? So the the reason why I'm going C plus, and then I'll let you give, give your thoughts on it. Obviously, Chuck, is that I don't want to kill the pick. Like there are some people who want to just kill this pick because Zaire Williams probably didn't deserve like a top ten grade after the season that he had. If you're evaluating Zaire Williams based on just the tape and the numbers and not putting any other context into it. You're like, this guy, might even, this guy might not even crack like a top 30. Like, like, why is this guy being taken so high in the first round? But there are so many accentuating circumstances that came from this year. It was a tough year with COVID. He had some injury things. The whole nine yards. And you go back and you look at what this team's missing. You look at what this team's been missing for a long time. It's like a dynamic 3-4 type wing slash forward scorer. They sort of had it with Rudy Gay. But until that guy got, got the eye surgery, whatever, at that point, he was on his way, like, off of the team. Like, I remember watching some Rudy Gay games where I'm like, dude, what rim are you shooting at? Like, 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 what, like what are we doing here? <laughs> they've, they've never had that dynamic wing-type score, and you have such an intriguing pair in John Moran and Jaron Jackson. I see what they want to do and swing for the fences, because if Zaire Williams hits, and he's the same type of dude, like, three, four years down the road... He becomes the guy that that we saw in high school. Like you're talking about a massive home run swing where like that that ball is being crushed like one of those home runs in the home run derby this past year out in Colorado, where we're talking about like a 500 foot moonshot. Like that's the type of team that can win a title or at least contend mm. for a title if you're the Memphis Grizzlies. But if it doesn't work, if he never rebuilds some of that confidence that he absolutely lost at different points throughout this year, if his body never turns out quite the way that it needs to from a strength and from a composition perspective, like if that, that stuff never pans out, the jump shot doesn't come around to be an efficient weapon. He, he's not um, as prone to do some of that off the dribble type stuff. Like I, I know he has that one move that he did show a few times at Stanford, that, that baseline, the mid range dribble pull up. He liked to go to like, if some of that stuff never pans out, you took a massive swing at number 10, you made a trade to move up seven spots and you, you, you might be potentially left with like nothing. From this draft when some people really thought you had the opportunity, especially after trading up to go get a guy who you saw could fit in between jaw and Jaron long term. And like I've said at many different points. I'm sure that you've echoed the same sentiment, Chuck, that like if you're ever going to trade up in a draft like this is the one to do it. There's so much talent mm-hmm. all over the place. Go find your spot. Go get your guy. And I think that their guy was going to be Franz Wagner, and and Franz was taken at eight. Or Orlando, it it really started with like the Scotty Barnes windfall at four, and then I think that other dominoes fell in different directions than where teams were planning. But I think that Zaire Williams, as far as any of the reports I've seen, like Zaire was their second guy, and 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 they were fortunate enough to be able to take him. So like they they got one of their top guys, but. I just don't know how this is going to work out, and we're we're not going to know how to properly grade this until like three four years down the line. So it, it's it's intriguing but not surprising that you also gave the same grade, Chuck. So why, why don't you uh, give your two cents on why you would give them a C plus?
1: Yeah, uh, it's for a lot of the same reasons. I also think they were linked uh, to Giddy at least for a brief yep. time there. Yep and um the giddy you know my guy giddy you know sam Presti fan of the show friend of the show took him sixth as he should that 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 one but... took me
0: that that one also threw me back in my seat not to get off on a tangent <laughs> but like that one I was like whole out of I, oh my god out of all the guys but I I know you're a giddy guy I'm like chuck sitting somewhere smiling when when I saw
1: that <laughs> I, I definitely was um but yeah so I I think starting with Zaire NBA spacing nba offenses again they take care of you on offense and so if zaire just starts doing what he can do which is shoot threes just shoot threes when the ball swings to you let ja and uh bane and brooks and jaron jackson sort of sop up all this defensive attention and if the ball hits you shoot it if zaire is healthy which he wasn't quite for a lot of the year. He was also dealing with a lot of off-the-court stuff um, that was tough. And I think trying on him, like his reputation coming into college was as a, a very good shooter on the wing. And you even saw flashes, you know, particularly his first game, I think, was Stanford versus Alabama. And Alabama went on to have this this great year. You know, they could have very easily have been a Final Four team. And they, like, killed Alabama in that game. And Zaire had Herb Jones on him. We both like Herb Jones. We're going to get to him later in this podcast. Yep. He was, you know, probably the SEC Intensive Player of the Year, one of them. And Zaire was, like, taking it to him a little bit. And it all comes out of his ability to hit pull-up threes and to hit threes off the dribble. Um, and he, had, at six nine has such a, like, a moonbeam, like, such a high-arcing jumper that when it goes in, I mean, it looks gorgeous, and I imagine that that's how he held his stock: is that he got in these one-on-zero workouts, and he starts draining these twenty-seven-foot yep. bombs at his size. The team, and it's in Zaire's also by all accounts a great, hard-working kid whose like head is in the right place and wants to work. That it's no wonder that he ended up being coveted in the lottery. I also think to again preview where we're going next on this podcast had the Grizzlies not taken him I think the Spurs probably would have taken him at 12 on you when you talk about sort of how dominoes can affect uh, how it plays out but um that's where it starts if Zaire can can be a really good shooter on the wing he will earn his minutes in the league and for any player particularly though players in the lottery who have these sort of high ceilings um, you have to earn NBA minutes. You have to get on the court. Because if you're not getting on the court, then you're losing developmental time. That's the best way to improve, improve the play. So you know, Memphis has enough playmaking, I think, to put him in that role more or less. And if he starts knocking that stuff down, which is it's not a sure thing, but if he starts knocking that stuff down, then you can get into other aspects of Zayre's game, where he does a bit more yep. off the dribble, and if he attacks a tilted floor, you know he can. He wants to be a playmaker. Like he had a triple double against Washington this year, where he looked great doing that stuff. But he wants to operate pick and roll. Um, he wants to be a guy who makes makes his teammates better. Um, he just doesn't quite have the handle to do it right now, and his lack of strength really hurts him on both sides of the ball he can't really keep a guy in jail he's not really strong enough to do that in the pick and roll he can't shed a defender if he's trying to drive on him his first step is slow because of all of all of this stuff because he's not strong enough and on defense though he wants to get in your jersey he wants to be this like like roving menace on the wing guys can just sort of drive through him because he just isn't he's just not very very strong and if he is closing out on a shooter he doesn't have the strength in his legs to be able to land and then change direction because i mean that takes a lot of strength in your base to be able to do that that so he can be out of position on that stuff too so it will take time i think it's clear that the grizzlies understand sort of the deal in the west and how hard it is um, so maybe they don't think their time is is just right now but who knows i mean the reason you and i love the grizzlies is how many nba players they've been able to develop how, Absolutely. how deep their so they zaire can be a bit of a luxury for them starting out and he can get minutes but it can be maybe 10 minutes a game on the bench and they can roll out Ja and melton and bane and grayson allen and brooks um i don't know what ha- what will happen with kyle anderson he's still under contract there um uh, tillman tilly you know adams and bledsoe who they just so the list goes here. on it just like, keeps going yeah like they, they they won't lack for the ability to keep themselves competitive and potentially win games so I, I feel the same way you do, it's going to be a multi year process for Zaire. And the other thing about this strength issue that he has is it leaves him more susceptible to injury. If the, the muscles around you know, your knees, and your ankles and your hips are not there, then you're putting that stuff at risk. If you are going balls to the wall, which is how Zaire wants to play. So But the Grizzlies are as smart an organization as there is. I'm sure they know all of this stuff. I mean, they know it better than we do. So that's sort of the question. Like, when I went to grade them, I was like, well, you know, I'm a little iffy on Zaire being that guy. Jaws coming up on his extension. I'm sure they want to win, and this doesn't really help them win that much in the short term. My God. Is Trey Murphy the third he has certain things in common with Zaire and I think he's a better player right now and would help him more and I like him more (laughs) as a prospect so there there was all of that but another part of it is like the Grizzlies are not they were not born yesterday they I think that they know what they're doing and so I could like it has a high enough ceiling like you said to where you can't just really dismiss this out of hand I wasn't really upset at the pick I had more of an issue with that trade up for Aldama but even you mentioning that it could be a draft and stash with how many roster spots they have makes sense because I wasn't the biggest Aldama guy um but if you're sending him overseas to develop his game more I mean that is a guy who processes the game quickly who can dribble pass and shoot at 610 so I was probably a little too low on him to begin with and the fact that He'll get great training that the Grizzlies don't have to occupy themselves with. It, it makes certain sense. I would have rather them have just sort of like taken Jared Butler, but Jared Butler would have been competing with all those guards we mentioned. So, you know, there there's a certain logic to it. The Grizzlies know what they're doing. And that's all that's I'll end with. I would rather them have just taken Trey Murphy, even at 10, but they know what they're doing. So I I am excited to see how they
0: bring year along. They do know what they're doing, and that's why their grade holds up as a C plus, and it's not lower because it's Memphis. They hit on so many picks all the time, and they're, they're, they've proven to be a smart organization, especially over the last few years. And I will give them the benefit of the doubt. That listen, Chuck, there's a lot of teams who should have taken Jared Butler be, between me and you, but that that's just <laughs> my that's just my two cents at this point. But um, we'll, we'll move on. To San Antonio, who is not going to get a a glowing grade for me. Not as low as I probably could have gone. I'm gonna give I'm gonna give them a C minus. They took they took Josh Primo at number twelve. They got Joe Wieskamp at 41. They're already targeting some really interesting guys to have on their summer league roster, etc. But listen, I'm i I'm a Primo guy. I was mm. I was I was I was on his bandwagon for a long time i said since, since november you can go back and find the tweets i'm like this kid's gonna be a first round pick because i i saw the i saw the size the length the fact that he can be a legitimate combo guard down the road i'm like how many legitimate combo guards at like six five six six d do you really see in the nba like they don't grow on trees they're 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 actually pretty uncommon so i'm like somebody's gonna take a bet on this kid in the first round never in my wildest dreams did I think that somebody was going to draft him at number 12, but I see where San Antonio's going with it. They're trying to load up on as many of these um, bigger wing size type guys who can do stuff off the dribble and hit perimeter shots. They're trying to load up on as many of them as they possibly can, even though they have a ton of them. And that's where the original disdain for the pick really came in. It's like, well, that's great. They're taking an awesome swing on somebody like Josh, but, where where's josh going to fit into this roster how is he going to earn minutes because he's not going to be better than any of those other guards and or wings that we can run down the list and look at that that san antonio has right now the one who i thought that i was i might have ended up liking the least was a dynamite player last year and now he's playing on the freaking olympic team and in, in Keldon johnson so like how is josh <laughs> primo going to kind of beat out any of these guys let so like he he he's an automatic g leaguer and I guess, listen, if his development ends up taking a nice upswing within the next few years and by like year three, pop as just another one of those guys that he can trust to, to bring off the bench and, and do some positive stuff on not just offense, but also on defense. Cause that was, a, that was a really underrated part of his game. Um, he, he was in a really high percentile defensively last year, 82nd percentile defensively as a freshman, like that's incredibly hard to do. For someone who I thought was relatively inexperienced coming in, that just speaks to how competitive of a player he is, and why I would have taken a swing on him. But I just, uh, until we see the results down the line, there were a number of different options that San Antonio could have went with. They listen, Chuck. They could have went with your guy Trey Murphy at, at number twelve, who could probably mm. have a much better chance of playing up to like a four spot, a position where I think they definitely have a need than than somebody like another anywhere from like one to two or or maybe even three in time depending on how his body works out who the heck knows in in primo so like i just thought they could have went other directions and that's why i'll give him a c minus but i won't i I don't really i don't really know what teams off the top of my head that i would necessarily like kill with a grade in this draft i thought everybody got at least like one or two decent guys at some point or another but i just thought there could have been better value to be had with number 12. And that's why I'm there. I'm I'm really curious to get your thoughts on this one, Chuck.
1: Yeah. Well, as a Primo guy, could you answer a question for me, real quick? Sure. This is my biggest issue with Primo was understanding that he was young. I didn't see enough athletic pop from him on tape. Cause I love young players. I love guys who are young for their grade who can like hang in major conferences. I loved Pat Williams last year, still do. But Patrick Williams has also had an NBA body at 18 and was like shedding dudes regularly for Florida State. So I didn't really see that from Primo. And that was how why I couldn't get really behind him as a first round talent. So What athletically did you see from him that made you think this guy could be like a future starting, you know, NBA combo guard?
0: He's not, he's not explosive off the bounce, but he's another one of those guys who, who just, he takes these long strides and that's how he's Mm -hmm. kind of able to get around people. Now, When you're evaluating guards, and this is where you and I could probably find some common ground, Chuck. At at like a guard spot like that, where you're initiating so much offense starting at the top of the key, and eventually, especially in like pick and roll sets, you got to be able to get around somebody. And that's either you have a really good first step, or you have a really good handle where you can like shake somebody. And and that's how you're creating some of that space. He, He doesn't have the handle. And that that to me is a right. bigger issue off the jump than necessarily some of the athletic concerns because of him having that long stride him being able to take the steps that he can, you know, do some of that footwork. He actually has some some pretty decent footwork for somebody his age, but he, he doesn't have that handle. He doesn't keep the ball on a string. And that's some of what he's going to have to learn how to develop. I, I was. I got a lot of positive vibes from him at the combine they played him as a point mm-hmm. guard in that game and he looked comfortable being a point guard on the court and that's not something he was comfortable being at alabama which is why like yeah you're probably going to take a late first round flyer on this kid but i don't know how high i would necessarily draft him because if you're going to be like a point guard you need to be able to make things happen for other players at the very least in design sets and there's just no evidence of that very little evidence of that that he did that at a high enough level at alabama for me to warrant giving him like a top 20 grade. That's why he's like, if you're going to take a flyer on him, you're taking a flyer on him in the back half of the first round. He shot the ball really well. He's a good spot up shooter. He has uh really nice mechanics on, on catch and shoot looks. So like that's something he can do in the NBA or he can do in, in the G league and he'll get comfortable doing that. But yeah, the playmaking stuff the being able to shake somebody off the dribble, like, yeah, he, he doesn't have that in spades and I can see for somebody like you try and see why that's a concern and why that would turn some teams off. And that just adds another layer into why taking him at like number 12, that's why some of that's really puzzling.
1: Yeah. And it's like, I never, never want, like it's tough for us as evaluators because he was never going to be like a major part of Alabama's, you know, Alabama runs so deep with players and they, you know, so many guys can put the ball on the deck for them and make plays. And that offense is so fast paced. It's so well coached that for a 17 year old kid coming in, I think, I don't think we should really dock him for not you know, playing more point guard to your point at Alabama. And when we only have this abbreviated season's worth of college tape, you know, where he's playing against high level competition, it's hard. And like my grade is, a d because i didn't have him high i just i I really didn't but i also i don't want to write off someone so young and it's always iffy for us to have a pre-draft season combine season workout season really affect our ranking because it's just not as good as watching the film i mean that's what we can do we can't interview these players and you know we can't Personally, observe them in three on threes or whatever, whatever circumstances that Primo really helped himself. um But it is a good marker that he carved out the role that he did and he played confidently. He also got those shots up, which is an underrated trait with any sort of shooter coming into the league. I mean, as a 17 year old in the SEC, which is a pretty good defensive league, uh, he got up 10 threes per 100 possession. Oh,
0: that kid lets it fly. He 100% just lets it fly. He does not care.
1: And and I agree that his mechanics look good. And I also think that if he adds some strength as he, you know, as he matures into his body, he shoots sort of a two-motion shot that looks like it should be a one-motion shot. There's just sort of like, maybe it's one-and-a-half motion or whatever, but there's a little bit of a pause and he kind of pushes it sometimes um, when it looks like he could do it all in one motion. And that's for guards. If, if you can be a, a accurate one motion shooter, then you can be very, very dangerous. So I don't want to kill it. I want to leave these avenues open, but like, if maybe he has some athleticism games, maybe he grows an inch or two because he's just that young, You know, he won't be 19 until Christmas. So there's chances for him to make strides. It's just, it's tough at 12, man. It's just tough with all of the talent in this draft to say that that's what we're doing. And if you look at San Antonio's roster, lots of guys that I like, but when you talk about him earning minutes, like Heldon Johnson was picked 29th. DeJounte Murray, I think, was picked 28th. Daryl, I believe, was picked 27th. Um, Lonnie Walker was picked 18th. So, like, Primo, in a weird way, you would think if the Spurs have big plans for him, like, they're going to have to try to accommodate him a little bit. And there have been rumors about them shopping, you know, Murray and White, because those guys, if you add their salaries together, they basically equal a max player. So maybe they're clear they want to, clear the decks maybe san antonio wants to take a new direction or maybe popovich is like i like our guys i'm greg popovich i just want to coach her in a couple years i don't know but i the the pathway to minutes is tough usually popovich is pretty unforgiving with that stuff you have to find a way to contribute or else you're going to be in the g league and so primo has time i don't really know what the spurs organizational goals are um but i can't really support the pick just until until san antonio clears the decks and this this kid gets a little bit older and a little bit stronger it's almost like it's an incomplete grade for me but yeah compared to where i had him i had him in the second round i had him actually next to Wee's camp who they took in the second round and i had matt mitchell their undrafted free agent like three picks away like i had them all like clumped together um But it's just, it's hard, man. But to be a guard, a starting guard in the league, you either need to be more or less a ridiculous athlete or a ridiculous shooter or both. And it's a lot to have faith in a kid this young that uh, he's going to be that ridiculous shooter. Because I I agree with you. I don't think that they think he's going to be an absurd athlete. So, yeah, tough, tough. And we can touch on Wieskamp, but yeah.
0: Here's the thing. I don't. I don't really have much to say on Wieskamp. That <laughs> that that's one thing. I do have one more question for you related to Primo before you move on. I mean, I'll, I'll give my quick two cents on Weis Camp. Like we we know what he is. He's he's a he's a pretty stationary shooter. He can do a few things off the off the move. When you're talking about running him off a few screens, Although I don't know how often you want him running off screens. He doesn't exactly move very fast. Like to me, he's a pretty stationary shooter. He's going to be efficient from the corners. I don't even know how long he's in San Antonio. I I, I have no idea what his future like he he has journeyman three-point shooter written all over him so like i i don't i don't know how excited i, I necessarily would be to, to talk about wieskamp that much unless you have other opinions but i'll, I'll let you hit on him quick but I'll, I'll also give you this question before we move on to um the last team that we're really going to be grading in terms of draft picks um I, i'm not confident in san antonio's ability to, to develop players much anymore to to be honest with you, like, I think we've seen some pretty mixed results over the last five years or so. You can make a case for um, DeJounte certainly making some good strides offensively in multiple areas, particularly with some aspects of his shooting. Although I think that those aspects are more to the eye test, the things that he's done with his jump shot mechanics versus how those results have actually borne out in terms of efficiency on the court. And then Keldon Johnson, sure, he's a dynamic player, but at the same time, I'm not seeing anything from from Keldon Johnson that I necessarily didn't see signs of him being able to do at Kentucky. I think where I really undersold Keldon and I didn't even think I undersold him. I had him as like a lottery type talent when he came out, but I undersold how strong he was. And I think I undersold his athleticism to an extent because he is still rebounding at a really high rate in some of these games and that's that's really been one of the main denominators sending him apart he, he's been a more efficient jump shooter to this point than he showed signs of as well in, in college but i didn't hate anything about his jump shot coming out but like Derek white like he, he was somebody who i really liked at, at, at when i saw him at portsmouth Like, like he's somebody who you can point to. Like, yeah, he's a positive guy for them. But like, how much is his game really developed? Lonnie Walker, my guy, Lonnie Walker, he's been in Pop's doghouse for so long. Like he hasn't, how much of a chance (laughs) has he really even gotten to develop? Like, like, I don't know. Like when you and I talk about, we have similar concerns for Primo, a guy who we know is going to need development. How confident are you that like, they're going to even be able to help him along to, to what he could possibly be in the league? Like that's the last puzzling thing that, you know, really makes me question this pick.
1: Yeah, I, so I disagree. I think that in development, they're still, I think they're still pretty good. I think their issue is an evaluation. You know, it's, it's easy to forget how recently this was, but Kawhi Leonard was a Spur three years ago. And if he signs that extension, then they are a yearly, you know, High 50s win team. You know, I and mean, this is his injuries notwithstanding, but like that was the track that they were on. And when they made that deal um for DeRozan and Pertle and a pick, I think that was it. I think that was what it was. And I think yeah. that pick became yep. Keldon Johnson. But yep um I think Pertle has gotten better. I think Pertle has sort of gotten as good as he's going to get. And I think he's a, a solid you know drop pickable rim protector um like he can he can help a a playoff hopeful or a playoff team but he won't really help them win a playoff series you know not out west and kelden you know again late 20s pick white and murray these are these are late 20s picks you are not supposed to expect a ton out of them um and i think they've all gotten better i think lonnie would be the 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 one that hasn't you know he's had his moments in san antonio but he hasn't locked down like a starter's role but he's also competing with a couple of guys we mentioned and we know that popovich loves his sort of veteran bench units to you know steal an advantage in the in the 15 minutes that they're on the court every night and so yep. it it leads or it leaves a young guy like lonnie sort of in a in a bind but I really think that, you know, they haven't picked high ever in the last five years. This is only, they've missed the playoffs just barely the last two seasons. That's coming off of whatever 20 straight winning seasons they've had. And so um, they haven't really had a chance to get a a blue chip guy to develop. Um, And I I can't remember if White went before Kevin Herter or just after Kevin Herter. I think they were like back-to-back picks. Um, but that would be, that's my thing is like, I love their pick of Vassell. I thought he was the right guy for them to take last year. I know he went one spot ahead of Halliburton, but I liked him better than Halliburton. And I, I still think he's a very good prospect. So it's, that it's more that. Like they, they didn't have a runway to get a really good player after they traded Kawhi and the return that they settled for was just not a great return. So, Going forward, Primo still has this log jam. I wouldn't write off his development, but I I do think San Antonio organizationally is at a crossroads about, you know, are we really going to pay all these guys that much when they haven't really, like, made the playoffs yet? And I think this season will be really telling because DeRozan's not going to be back there and Aldridge is gone. So this is this new Spurs team. You know, this is it. So we get to really see who is a keeper and who is someone they can look to move and who is going to earn minutes where. Um, so yeah, that, that, that's how I feel. I don't, I have concerns about him getting minutes, but as far as development, I hope I, I would assume that he gets better while he's in San Antonio. That's what I would say.
0: I hope so too. I, I certainly hope so too. Um, we'll, we'll move on to the last team that we have to quote unquote grade here the New Orleans Pelicans, Chuck, this is it, this is your runway, I want you to fly as high as you can, baby, I want you to to, to give me your, I'll tell you, I'll, I gave them a B, I don't know how many A's I want to give out huh? in particular, but I did give them a B, because in, in taking two guys like Trey Murphy and Herb Jones, at the very least, they're focusing on the right end of the court that they need to focus on because they're putrid defensively. They've been putrid defensively. And now you bring in two guys who I think are going to, in, in Herb, you certainly get that effect from him when when they get him on the court. The question is how many minutes are they actually going to have him on the court because of some offensive concerns? And I'm sure, I'm sure you'll touch into some of that. But Trey Murphy, I think, is also going to be um, a, a pretty good defender in, in the NBA. I mean, he spent time in Virginia he he talked about in his practices were like obviously a Tony Bennett practice like they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna do a lot of defense in those practices and he certainly had a lot of time to certainly develop and get better on that end of the floor and I'm sure you're gonna touch on offensive aspects as well like I like the two fits positionally and I think that where they should have focused in on this draft I think they nailed hitting in that specific area and so that's why I'll, I'll give them a b i like what they did but i'm assuming you're going to have some more glowing thoughts so the, the floor is yours chuck
1: thank you um i gave him an a and with the acquisition of trey murphy the third i think the next logical question is well what can we get for zion on the open market so we need to sort of think about resetting the timeline of this team, <laughs> see how many lottery picks we can amass. No, so look, I released a written piece on um, the day of the draft, which was just like on a Google doc on my Twitter that outlined my thoughts on the lottery and it had in my full board. But I, I wrote a little bit actually about the lottery picks. And I had Murphy fifth on my board, you appeared on my show last week, um, which is a really fun episode sort of leading into the draft about guys we were really all in on. And Murphy is was my number one guy that is that because I don't think anyone else had him as high as five. So the, the, the phrase you even heard on draft night was that Murphy is a star in his role, right? that like, we know this guy's going to be a supporting player, but he's going to be really good at the stuff that he does. So I think that there is that phrase implies number one, that you're going to be an effective player and that you're going to play in the NBA a long time. And Murphy is a six, nine wing who can defend on the wing and really shoot. I don't think there's much doubt. He's going to be in the league a long time. You just, those guys just tend to not fail. You're that big. You move that well. You have that kind of discipline on defense and you knock down your threes, every team will have a spot for you. It's sort of that Garuba principle, but in a much different way. Because they, you know, they have much different roles. Um, so that's one part of it. The other part of that statement is that um your potential is kind of capped. You don't hear people calling Giannis a star in his role. He's just a star because yep. of the the amount of different things that he can do on the court. So To me i love guys who are stars in their role number one i think that guys who play on the wing who are stars in their role should get much much more consideration for lottery picks because again you just think about this in terms of trade value whoever is listening to this whoever your favorite team is when it comes around the trade deadline i don't care if you're buying or you're selling you will be like man i wonder if we could just acquire like a guy who could shoot on the wing who's kind of young like wouldn't that be nice to have that on our team it's just, it's every single team. So the the next question with Murphy, because I think there were people who had him in the lottery sort of back end of the lottery, you know, 10 to 14 kind of range is, does he do anything else or does he project to do anything else that would elevate him to sort of where I have him, which is solidly in the top 10? Um, what potential does he have for anything else? And In my opinion, he didn't show a ton of it at Virginia, but he has sort of the career arc of guys who become really good wing overall players, which is they were a guard when they were younger, and Murphy was in high school and even early on at Rice. And then he grew a lot, and he went from 6'4". I think he was like 5'11 when he was like a junior in high school. And then he was 6'4 when he finished his senior year in high school. And then he was 6'9 by the end of his sophomore year at Rice. And when he gets knocked for being skinny, you know, even though he's 21, like, the kid's been growing, like, nonstop for three years. And so, you're already as athletic as he is, and I think he's quite athletic, you can put good weight on still coming out of that growth spurt. Think, you know, Jason Tatum, for example. And all of a sudden, he's not 6'9", 205 with some explosiveness to him. He's 6'9", 220, 6'9, with some explosiveness to him. And if you are that athletic on the wing and you can shoot, then you'll get chances to put the ball on the deck. It's true that he didn't do that at Virginia but he joined Virginia mid-pandemic. Virginia's not a team that is going to allow a a transfer in an abbreviated season to explore the studio space. Virginia's a lot of things, but they're not some incubating creative environment. Yep. Not on offense. So I think that his him not showing that there is not an indication that he doesn't have those skills. And the fact that he he was a guard earlier in his career, I think there is at least some wiring there. And I, I think if there's anything that I don't absolutely love, and I do absolutely love this pick, if there's anything I don't absolutely love about it, it's that the Pellys have so much usage sopped up by Zion and Ingram, as they should. And, you know, Nikhil Alexander-Walker and Kira Lewis, you know, they're gonna compete for usage too. That they're gonna have Murphy basically just be a catch and shoot guy, probably, and that's fine, and he'll do very well there and return value with this pick. But I I can't help but think that that guy, if he once he sort of hits his ideal playing weight and playing strength, that some of those guard skills he had, you know, when he was younger, couldn't possibly come to the floor and amplify his game. And if he is an athletic wing who can just make plays for others a little bit, just a little bit, and shoot 40% from three and 85% from the line every year, that's a guy who's going to make 20 to $25 million a year on his next contract. I mean, I, I just think that that's what happens to those guys, and that's why I think that he's going to be a top-10 pick. Mikhail Bridges is probably never going to be an all-star, and Mikael was a better prospect coming out of school than, than Murphy, understanding that. Um, But McHale went 10th in a loaded draft year and in a redraft, he probably goes higher than 10th. And so if Murphy is not quite, you know, having McHale's pedigree, but having some of the same traits um, in terms of, you know, touch and making shots from wherever he took them and being hyper efficient, being a positive defender who processes the game very quickly with size and length and explosiveness on the wing i just think the path is very clear for him to establish that kind of value um and you're right pelicans need defense on the wing he provides it they need more shooting you always need more shooting if your best player is not a great shooter zion is not a great outside shooter so you always take the shooting where you can get it and murphy is that too so i don't see a whole lot wrong with this and i think just Again, his his value will compound and expound with whatever he can do putting the ball on the deck. Even if it's just taking two dribbles from the wing when someone's closing hard on him because they know he can shoot and dunking over whoever's under the rim because Murphy can do that too. So I I love that pick. And Herb, um, in the second round, you and I, I think, are probably pretty unified on Herb. We both really like him. Um. New Orleans has Fred Vincent, who's the best shooting coach in the league, or is thought of that way. And so, if you put him with Herb, whose issue is adding a spot up jumper, because he can rotate onto different guys on defense, he's a tireless worker on defense. Uh, he has great ground coverage, and and you know, just a very exceptionally tough player. Then, um, if he can get his shot to just okay. Then he's an NBA rotation player and a valuable one because he plays on the wing. And if Vincent can take Murphy from a great shooting prospect to like a great, great NBA shooter, then obviously, sort of the sky is the limit there as well. So I, I think if you look at just the picks around the Pelicans, Duarte goes 13th uh, to Indiana, Kispert goes 15th to Washington. Both similar sort of theories of guys, guys whose best asset is shooting on the wing, and I just think Murphy is clearly more athletic than either one of them. Is a better defense prospect than either one of them. He's bigger and longer than both of them. He's more dangerous around the rim than either of them. And I think as a shooter, if he's not quite at their level yet, it won't take long. So that that, that just in a very mini little microcosm of why i think murphy holds more value than lots of the guys in this draft i would look at those two picks and compare it to where you think murphy's going to be in three or four years so that's that's my thoughts
0: that was that was a very very excellent case chuck i I will say two things number one you mentioned chris duarte what what gave me a good chuckle Mm -hmm was, and by the way, I I, I do like Ryan Rossillo for, for different basketball stuff. I think that he can have some really good thoughts sometimes. He called Chris Duarte like this really competitive and like really good college defender. And Duarte was in like the 10th percentile in terms of total defense last year in college. So that one gave me a really good chuckle. I just had to get that. I, I just had to get that point out there. Um, But th- that, th- <laughs> th- that was really good. But number two... If we are robbed next year of some jumbo size lineup with, like, Zion or Herb or, or Jones, like, manning point guard-type duties with, like, Ingram and Trey Murphy, and then insert whoever you want to play at, like, the five, like, if we're robbed of that lineup, I may, like, go down to New Orleans and, like, you know, get a pitchfork and, and, and get a get a torch and light it on fire, and, like, I'll start, like, rioting in the streets, because that would be such a fun lineup. I, I, I want to <laughs> see something unique like that. I know you want to see it, too, Chuck. I know you want to see that lineup. Well,
1: and that's the thing with Murphy is that he can fit into any kind of lineup. So you, yep. you will definitely see lineups with him and Ingram and Zion on the floor. It's just a matter of, Oh, Murphy's going to play a ton
0: is. of minutes. I, I bet you he's playing 30 plus minutes by the time, like the trade deadline rolls around. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah, that, that's, that to me is a, is a guarantee because look, the Pelicans at the end of the day, they had a really young team last year with, some vets on the wrong side of their respective ages and those vets were not always producing to the highest of levels that they thought they could so then it ends up that stands playing the young guys more and more and more and more and then you're looking around you have this exceptional talent in zion you have and and also not not as exceptional but exceptional enough in his own right talent and brandon ingram uh, you have Lonzo Ball, who is certainly not a slouch talent-wise, and who is a smart basketball player. And then those other two spots that are up for grabs were, were generally manned by players who just weren't—they weren't up to the challenge from an IQ standpoint to be trusted to do the right things in different situations, especially late in games. And that's not going to be a problem for Trey Murphy. If anything uh you know they're they're probably looking around and like how do we get more of those types of guys in our organization Hmm. and one way is through free agency but the other way you can do that in the draft especially with like a mid first round pick so when trey murphy something like that falls into their laps it's like oh my god we might have just drafted like another guy who can play you know with Zion and, and, and B.I., and I, I guess Lonzo's probably going to be gone at this point from from the reports, but fine. You still add, like, three out of five pieces to the puzzle in terms of, like, a late-game lineup. Guys who you trust to be on the floor to not only hit open shots, but also make the right decisions with the basketball. And, and yeah, Chuck, like, if if Trey Murphy doesn't end up expanding his game to add a lot of those different playmaking-type things off the dribble – like he's going to do enough things to a good enough point that he absolutely deserves to have minutes on the court, but he's also not going to be a slot from the standpoint of he's going to be able to redirect the ball to where it needs to go. And he's not going to hold on to the ball and do dumb shit with it either. So that, that aspect of his game that he brings to the table, I don't think that enough people talked about it or you know, it, it was it was like the minority. It was people that really liked him. Somebody like you or I, I definitely even made that case at at some point in my podcast as well. Like that's an aspect of basketball that isn't talked about enough. Can can we trust you to be on the floor late in the game and not do something stupid with the basketball? So yeah, that's that's really like the the best case as to what I could make for for Murphy being the pick for them.
1: I I think that's exactly right, and I think you know, he said that he didn't really play defense and was never asked to play defense before he went to Virginia. And then by the end of the season, he very well might have been their best overall defender. Like he, I just think he picks things up and I think that will come through in his connecting passing as well. Like ball handling and playmaking. It's not just about being smart there. You need that. You need to have a lot of skill and it's possible that I'm being a bit too optimistic on that. I'll I'll grant that. But again, man, just Cam Johnson, who everyone was like, oh, I can't believe he went 11th. I was of that persuasion. I thought they overdrafted him. But, you know, two years later, he was drafted in 2019. And two years later, he's playing, like, real meaningful minutes in the finals. So...
0: Playing real I, mi- meaningful and, defense, I might also add. Yeah. yeah.
1: I think that Murphy's a better prospect than cam was coming out of unc and cam was 23 years old and this kid's 21 i just i don't know man i maybe i'm wrong maybe i'm wrong but i i have a hard time seeing how this guy is not going to be an an extremely valuable player coming out of this draft when it's said and done but we'll see
0: we will see see. um that pretty much wraps up the grades portion for for this podcast the last technical team that we would need to touch on in this division would be dallas they did not draft anybody um the undrafted targets of theirs that i had pulled the other day ej onu um, who was a really intriguing big man prospect who i'm glad that they brought somebody like him in carla jones ferron hunt um eugene omarui a- a- anyone anyone pique your interest you've seen Dallas target to to bring into camp or, or something of that nature, maybe throwing him a two way contract. Any any anything come to mind?
1: On uh, you does, yeah. He was actually the highest my highest rated player who didn't get drafted just because his dimensions are so insane and he, <laughs> he he's gone in. I mean, given you can discount it for the competition level, that's fair, but the, the guy looks like he can switch potentially down the line and has a seven eight wingspan and can kind of shoot. And so, I mean, that just profile. If he had that profile in the SEC, he goes in the lottery. So, like, he definitely piques my interest. It's just Dallas, at least when Rick Carlisle was there, they didn't play rookies a ton. Maybe that's different now with a Jason Kidd there, though I, I wouldn't hold my breath. And I wouldn't be surprised if this isn't the team that he eventually catches on with. But potentially man you project on you out if 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 he really hits then he's a very valuable player but um he was the only guy that that truly popped out of that group i like some aspects of some of the other guys games but on you would be the guy that popped for me
0: yep i agree i i'm so glad that he's he was definitely scooped up by a really good organization in in dallas and and i guarantee that he's going to have a contract of some kind because I see a lot of the same things that, that you see in him, Chuck. I, I, I bloviated about him when, when I did my um uh, my tears when I did my third tiers podcast. I, I definitely talked about EJ um beyond client. Shout out to EJ. Glad you're getting that opportunity, man. Um, but but yeah, that that wraps up that division. So, Chuck, it was a pleasure to have you on, my friend. If you and I, when we do a podcast, if we're not doing it for an extended amount of time, we're doing our audiences a disservice because I feel like <laughs> we, we literally, we knock it out of the park every time we do one of these things. So, um, but my audience, I know my audience knows who you are, but just in case for whatever stupid reason, they wouldn't, why don't you plug everything you do, my friend? Cause I listen to all your stuff. You do a great job. You kill it all the time.
1: Thank you very much, um, Nate. And likewise, of course, um, but I'm at chucking darts on Twitter. My podcast is the Chucking Darts NBA podcast, wherever you find a podcast. If you search Chucking Darts, I am still the only podcast named that. So that should come through. (laughs) And yeah, if I ever have anything written, I'll post it on my Twitter. I don't have a website or anything like that, at least not at the moment. But uh, thank you very much, man. This was a lot of fun and I'm, I got lucky with this division. Because I think it you did you you, did. you, re,
0: you really freaking on. did it had all your guys in there well most yeah of them. man
1: it, it, it worked out um, so we really didn't leave anything on the table here so hopefully your audience uh, has enjoyed this one but thank you very much for having me on and thank Absolutely. you to, to Kevin always man the MVP
0: Kevin is the the MVP of this podcast I I tell him all the time how thankful I am to have him to to edit and, and do all this stuff with the audio every podcast sounds amazing and yeah I, I wouldn't be anywhere without kevin he, he needs to teach me a thing or two um but i yeah i wouldn't be anywhere without that man so that that is that is a thanks that is just deserved and the most important don't, thanks... don't
1: teach him kevin you maintain your value don't let Nate <laughs> produce on his own that's the goal I'll teach him a thing. <laughs>
0: But the most important thank you goes to my audience, of course, for for listening to this podcast, everything you guys have done for me, um, and to show support for, for the brand, for the podcast, for everything we do on Twitter over this, what I would consider to be our true first draft cycle. I know that I, I started the podcast last August, and we got in there to sneak in. Um, Some stuff for for 2020, we ran through 60 guys, we did the whole nine yards, but this was really my full draft cycle, 150% coming back into everything and and everything that we were able to accomplish in our first year. I couldn't thank all of you guys enough. It it, it was truly awesome to to see how much we've grown over a year and I can't wait to to watch us grow as well as a lot of the other brands that you're seeing pop up on, on draft Twitter. There is amazing content everywhere you look for the NBA draft. I'm thankful to be a part of it. If you aren't following us on Twitter, I, I don't even know it's Sadie anymore. We're, we're at draft deeper. You, you need to be on there following us. Cause I'm always talking about basketball. I'm always talking to other people about basketball. We have engaging conversations. We want to pull you guys into those conversations because that's what it's all about. At the end of the day, I say it every week. If we're not talking to each other, sharing opinions, getting thoughts we're we're not helping make each other better. And that's what it's all about getting better at enjoying the basketball the game of basketball that we all love so thank you again for listening hope you all have a wonderful rest of your week